Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Remember, you can listen to all of the past episodes of Throwback FDNY by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the platform you use for listening to podcasts. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, in 1898, the greater city of New York is consolidated. In 1907, the Marine Division is formed. And in 1938, Dr. Ernest Stillman is sworn in as an honorary medical officer. While New York is certainly a great city, the term greater city of New York has an historic and specific meaning. You see, in 1625, the Dutch began construction of Fort Amsterdam at the southern tip of what became Manhattan. One year later, they secured permission from the indigenous Lenape people to own the land in exchange for payment in the form of beads and other goods. In 1664, the British took over the territory and changed its name to New York. As the population grew and development crept north, the area known as the city remained the same for the next 110 years. Then, an area of the mainland west of the Bronx River was annexed. 21 years later, the area east of the Bronx River joined the city. But in 1898, the city of New York consolidated five counties of New York State to form what was called the Greater City of New York, becoming the geographic and political entity that we know today. Okay, so what does this mean from a firefighting perspective? Well, at the time of the consolidation, the FDNY, a paid fire department, covered all of Manhattan Island and the annex section of the Bronx, with just a few volunteer departments still operating in the latter. By the way, it has recently been uncovered that a volunteer fire company was formed in Manhattan in 1895 and it existed for at least a decade. In the counties of Queens, Kings, and Richmond, over 100 volunteer companies provided fire protection to their residents. But on January 1st, 1898, the FDNY became responsible for this much expanded geographic area. And that's not all. In the years preceding the consolidation, the FDNY was governed by a board of three fire commissioners. On January 1st, 1898, the board was abolished, and responsibility for the department fell to just one commissioner, John J. Scannell. Of the many challenging logistics of this responsibility was the incorporation of two other paid fire departments into the FDNY. Those were in Long Island City and the city of Brooklyn. First was the shift of the administration from the commissioners of those departments over to that of Commissioner Scannell. Chief officers and company officers could technically continue in their roles, but now the FDNY would have something to say about their ultimate positions. Next, each of the two departments had companies with common numbers. For example, each had an engine company number one and a hook and ladder company number one, as did the FDNY. Now what? Well, in short, it took 15 years to finally arrive on the numbers that all FDNY companies have today. Here's how. Beginning in October 1899, 
engine companies outside of Manhattan had their company number increased by 100, and latter companies, 50 was added to theirs. In 1905, the first FDNY units were installed in Staten Island, with engine companies designated in the 200 range and ladder companies in the 100s. In 1913, the companies in Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island were changed to the present numbering system. Specifically, the Brooklyn and Queens companies had another 100 added to their engine company numbers, and 50 was added to truck company numbers. The Staten Island engine companies had 50 deducted from their numbers, and ladder companies had 25 deducted. Over time, volunteer companies in the outer boroughs were replaced by FDNY units. But even today, there are still nine volunteer fire departments serving those areas, with five in Queens, one in Brooklyn, two in Staten Island, and one in the Bronx. The city and the department have come a long way in the past 126 years, and both are certainly great. Hi, it's Patty Murphy, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum. The mission of the museum is to preserve, educate, and celebrate the amazing history and modern day heroism of the greatest fire department in the world, the FDNY. In addition to our two permanent exhibition floors, the museum hosts numerous special exhibitions each year, along with opening events, educational, and family programming. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a member. Memberships start as low as $25 per year and include perks such as free admission to the museum, special invitations to events, and discounts on museum shop merchandise. As a 100% self-funded institution, we rely on the support of our members to keep our mission alive. Thank you for your support. As noted in the previous segment, New York City started out on just one island. Now, the greater city actually includes a staggering 700 plus miles of waterfront, including 32 islands, ranging from postage stamp sized to the densely populated metropolis of Manhattan. And in all the five boroughs, there are shorelines with an assortment of marinas, docks, piers, airports, and other structures, all of which have the potential of becoming a blaze. Not to mention all the watercraft, from small outboards to behemoth oil tankers, cargo carriers, and cruise ships. Fire protection for these areas began when the FDNY put a hand pumper on a barge. Members had to row the barge to the fire, then start pumping the engine. That only lasted 14 years. In 1866, the department contracted with John Baxter and Sons for use of their steam salvage tug, John Fuller. The tug, which was equipped with steam fire pumps manufactured by Amaskag, was on call and would respond when requested by the officer in command at a fire. Then finally, on May 12, 1875, the fireboat Havemeyer was placed in service and was staffed by a company consisting of two officers, five firefighters, two engineers, and a pilot. The fireboat was designated Engine Company 43. It had no firehouse. The crews lived on board. Since then, the fleet grew, especially during the heyday of New York's commercial shipping, tourist, and recreational boating. In 1905, 
there were seven floating engine companies. The decision was made to reorganize the formerly disbanded Battalion 19, with the floating engine companies being transferred to it on January 17, 1905. Battalion Chief John Kenlin was put in charge. To find out why, and to learn more about this notable member in FDNY history, listen to our December 2020 podcast episode. Special Order Number 155, dated December 30th, 1907, ordered that henceforth, quote, Battalion 19 will be designated as a Marine Division, separate and independent of the supervision of Deputy Chiefs of other divisions, end quote. That being said, it's undeniable that this was a case of semantics, since Battalion 19, comprised solely of fireboats, began operation more than two years before. The Marine Division continued to exist as a standalone unit until it became part of the Special Operations Command in 1990. Since then, it has been known as Marine Operations, with a Marine Battalion in charge. The Marine Battalion responds to all calls for one or more fireboats. From 1875 until 1959, all fireboats were numbered and called engine companies. That changed on June 1, 1959, when each boat was given a Marine Company number. This coincided with a change in FDNY helmet front pieces, from a solid piece to one with an insert displaying the company number on a field of the existing color code for the type of company. It was at this juncture that marine companies took on the green color for their helmet fronts. There have been many spectacular multiple alarm fires since the first fireboats were brought into the department, as well as other emergencies on the water and waterfront. We've covered some of these in past podcast episodes, including the Normandy, the USS Constellation, and Graceline Pier fires. In more recent memory, our marine battalion responses to incidents like the Miracle on the Hudson and providing water to land-based units during the tragedy of September 11th, 2001. Located in the heart of the Hudson Square neighborhood in Manhattan, the museum is housed in a 1904 firehouse, the former home of FDNY Engine 30. On Saturday, February 10th, 2024, at 7 p.m., tune in to Operation 7 Save a Life to see our beloved museum featured as the backdrop of the Emmy Award-winning WABC TV special. It's an informative, entertaining show full of life-saving information hosted by Bill Ritter. Your safety and even your life could depend on whether you know how to prepare for today's emergencies. Don't miss the chance to see inside the official museum of the FDNY and learn about fire prevention on Operation 7 Save a Life on ABC7. Dr. Ernest Stillman. Ah, where do I begin? This is a name that few people recognize, but his contributions to the FDNY are legendary. Ernest Goodrich Stillman was born into wealth. He was the son of James Jewett Stillman, who built railroad and banking empires, including First National City Bank of New York, known today as Citibank. He was one of the richest men in the United States. The younger Stillman, attended Harvard as an undergraduate and received his Doctor of Medicine degree from the College of Physicians and Surgeons at Columbia University. He was a respected researcher in the field of pulmonology at the Rockefeller Institute, and he served in the Army Medical Corps during World War I. 
Dr. Stillman was a contemporary and friend of many of the prominent buffs of the FDNY in the early 1900s. He was appointed an honorary medical officer in 1925 with the rank of battalion chief to work with Dr. Archer. He was promoted to deputy chief in 1938. Dr. Stillman chose to share his fortune generously for the benefit of the FDNY and its members. The original memorial wall and headquarters was donated by him anonymously in 1937. He endowed five Medals of Valor, the William F. Conran, Fiorella LaGuardia, Thomas Dougherty, John J. McGilligate, and Albert S. Johnson Medals. He also served as chief of the Volunteer Fire Department at his summer residence in Cornwall on Hudson, New York, where he founded Cornwall Hospital in 1923. His involvement with the department was not limited to monetary contributions. A brilliant man, he invented a flashlight specifically designed for firefighters that was utilized by the FDNY. The New York City Fire Museum is fortunate to have two examples of it in its collection. Given his research in pulmonology, it's not surprising that he had an interest in the impact of smoke on firefighters. In addition to the development of his own smoke ejection device that he donated to the department, in 1937, he underwrote the construction of a new smoke ejector apparatus for the FDNY. But perhaps his most enduring contribution was the result of another one of his passions, photography. It is said that Dr. Stillman showed up at many fires with his medical bag in one hand and a motion picture camera in the other. The images he captured record many of the most historic personalities, equipment, and fires in New York City during the 1920s and 30s. They're considered to be the largest collection of historic fire-related films in the world. The films were donated by his family to the National Archives and are widely available without license. After Dr. Stillman passed away at his home in Manhattan on December 16, 1949, his ashes were scattered at Black Rock Forest, a 3,800-acre tract of land in Cornwall, New York, one of the many owned by his family that he donated to his alma mater, Harvard University. In 1992, a plaque to his memory was unveiled at the forest. His impact on the FDNY will forever endure. And now it's time for our throwback FDNY trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. In what location did the FDNY first establish its museum? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum, the official museum of the FDNY. With help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this important reminder. In these cold months of the year, if you use electric heaters, please keep this in mind. Never overload electrical outlets with multiple heaters. Electric heaters require a lot of energy and might draw more amperage than an outlet can provide, causing a fire hazard. But plug electric heaters directly into an outlet 
do not use extension cords. Use of heaters that have a live flame, like those powered by propane, are very dangerous when used indoors. Only use such heaters that are designed for indoor use. Make sure the area is well ventilated and never leave the heater on, either unattended or overnight. In addition to the fire hazard, this also presents a risk of carbon monoxide poisoning. Please employ the utmost care when using any type of heating device. Improper use of these devices is a common cause of fires. Their proper use will keep you, your family, and your visitors safe. We could all do our part to be a partner with the fire department by promoting fire safety. Until next time, thanks for listening and stay safe.